welcome to the Living in the Yum podcast. I'm your host, Emma Garrison, founder of The Body Solution, entrepreneur, mindset coach, NLP master practitioner, and lover of lifelong learning. Each week, the Living in the Yum series brings innovative, thought-provoking, and actionable content to help you to gain clarity, alignment, and connection with your soul and body. It's time to take action, to take an authentic stand for yourself, and unapologetically live more into the yum every single day. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Living in the Yum podcast. I am so excited. We have a very special guest here with us today, Christine Hassler. She is somebody very special to me who was one of my very first experiences with personal development and coaching. Um, And she also happens to be a best-selling author and um, her most recent book of Expectation Hangover. Um, And she is a keynote speaker, retreat facilitator, spiritual psychologist and life coach, but all around just one of the yummiest souls that I know who is here making huge impact on the world, including my life personally. I've learned so much from her and I continue to learn so much from her. So without further ado, Christine, thank you for being here. Welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm so happy that you're doing this. Yeah, it's so much fun. I love getting to have conversations like this and, um, and, and just bringing people like you to my audience who can just really learn and lean into this experience of like the healing, but also the looking inward and seeing what's coming up. And, and what I love, I just did a retreat with you on the inner child work. And I think Mm -hmm. that is so relevant right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Our inner child is a psychological reality. It's not some spiritual like term that we've made up. It's the part of us that is most connected to our deep, deep, deep sensitivities, our emotions, our creativity, our intuition. And you know, our childhood is the time, it's the most impactful time of our life in so many ways. And what's amazing is that we all have the inner child that lives in us at all times. And when I refer to the inner child, I don't mean a specific age. It's pretty much all parts of us under the age of 12, maybe even 15, that need nurturing and need our patience and need our understanding and need our attention. And so much of what evolving and becoming a healthy adult requires is learning how to reparent that inner child. Because let's face it, our parents did the best they could. We might disagree sometimes that maybe they didn't do the best they could, but they really truly did. And it wasn't always what we needed. Part of the human experience is to learn and grow. And so a lot of us have difficulties and challenges in our childhood, and we can't expect anyone to come and solve those for us. It's really up to us, and that's part of emotional maturity. But we can't ignore the things that happened. So what we have to do is heal that inner child by reparenting ourselves and giving that inner child the expression that it never got, the explanations that it never got, and the reassurance that it never got. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so much of, of that work and really, I mean, whatever you want to call it, personal development or the spiritual growth or what have you is the awareness of it. Like, I think there's so much power in just the 
acknowledging that there's something to be looked at and then being able to say like, Ooh, that awareness generates some choice for me in how do I experience that reparenting or what can that really look like? And, um, I just think this work is, is so powerful and so yummy. And I'm so grateful that, um, you've sort of opened my eyes and so many others to what there is to, to be even aware of. Mm, yeah. Awareness is the first step. It's always the first step in any kind of transformation, any kind of change. I wish it was the only step because sometimes <laughs> the awareness is the easy part. It's like, oh, I'm aware that my whole life, my dad was critical of me. And so that made me critical of myself. Okay. Now I'm not critical of myself anymore. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Uh, but it is the necessary step to open our eyes and our hearts to doing the deeper work. Being human is a magical and incredible experience. And it's also freaking hard sometimes. And the things we learn in school are absolutely ridiculous in terms of preparing us for life as a human. I, I can't believe we spend a year on algebra, but we don't spend a year on understanding our emotions or understanding how our thoughts become reality or understanding that we are all one. We just look different. Mm-hmm. And so we for whatever reason, and part of, I think, what we're going through now collectively is changing this. For whatever reason, we have our childhood kind of beat out of us, sometimes for some people, literally, very, very soon. And we're put into systems and structures where we lose our connection to our magic, our connection to our emotions. We're told to be good girls or big boys. We're told we're too much, we're too sensitive, we're not enough. And it just creates a lot of conditioning and patterning so that when we do become adults, we're almost like robots. We're thinking and behaving and reacting in ways that are just based on programming and conditioning and wounding and not really based on who we really are. So the big awareness, the biggest awareness that we all have is, whoa, like, who am I? I don't know the answer to that question. You know, I think I know who I am. I am all these things I've been told, but who am I really? Mm-hmm. And that awareness of, wow, like I'm, I'm not just these identities or these roles that I play in life. I'm actually something much more. And it's the investigation of that that becomes part of our awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things too, like in, in what's happening with our world specifically that started with quarantine around um, everybody's like all of a sudden locked up at home and all of these identities are being challenged all of a sudden because it doesn't matter what car you drive. It doesn't matter what job you have because nobody's seeing it. There's not this like access to external validation that we're used to having. And I think that has, um, and the, and having the space around being with and allowing whatever emotions are actually here. I think quarantine has, has created some face off with that, with people too. And then, you know, we had, we had talked lightly a while back about doing this. And, and since then the um, George Floyd mm-hmm. tragedy happened and all of this sort of eruption around civil rights and racism, which has been here all along and people are just now starting to um, really get it and really pay Mm -hmm. attention. I know I'm one of those people for sure who um, I'm embarrassed to say that this is the time that I've really, like I thought that I understood Mm -hmm. racism and I thought that I understood the inequalities that were happening. And it wasn't really until this situation that all of it has um, 
really shown up for me. And I, and so I think this idea around, um, these sort of identities of, of the good girl or the funny one or being an overachiever or accomplishing all of that started bubbling and being really questioned when quarantine started. And now there's this whole other aspect of, of awakening on some level and, and everything I feel like is being challenged and that can bring up a lot yeah. on so many different levels. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are overwhelmed right now just really, really overwhelmed with, you know, black people are overwhelmed with the trauma that's coming up both in their own life, because it's like with any, with any trauma, we repress it and suppress it until we can't. And in the conversations I've had with black people, in my community, my black friends, they're all of the microaggressions, the aggressions, the times that they've been victims of a racist comment or racist action, all that's coming to the surface now, in addition to all the generational trauma that's coming up. And then for any people of color, they're tapping into all of that wounding and all of that trauma as well, because they know what it feels like to be an oppressed member of a society. And then for white people, I think it's a lot of confusion and a lot of guilt and a lot of shame Mm -hmm. coming up around what being white means and really looking into, um, you know, what this country was founded upon. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you can't blame me for what my ancestors did. And I said, no, blame isn't going to help anybody. Like nobody ever, nothing ever great came out of somebody blaming somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, that not, I can't think of one great thing that's happened in the world because somebody blamed somebody else. That, that, that isn't where we want to go. But it's even for me as a white person, like being able to tap into that, that guilt and that, but, but really what it is, is it's ignorance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what a, a lot of people are feeling right now is just, wow, I've been so ignorant. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to name it. And for white people especially, I think it's important not to overwhelm yourself. I know that there's so many people who want to be quote unquote good allies and have just inundated their stuff themselves with all the anti-racism books and following a lot of people, which is great. I don't want people to get fatigued though. Yeah. I don't want this to be, oh, this is what everybody's studying in 2020. And then, and then what? So I think the important thing is with any personal development, you, you ease yourself into it. You have the awareness, you make the commitment So to me, commitment right now is way more important than how much you're doing, like that that lifetime commitment. And to also just be respectful of your own own lane. I I had a free Zoom call that I co-hosted with a therapist, and we were just talking to, to different people about what they were going through after the George Floyd murder. And one black woman came on and she said, I feel like guilty being a black person who's not protesting, who's not out there protesting. And, but I just don't think that's my lane. I just, I'm super sensitive. I'm very empathic. I, I just don't want to be out there, but I feel like I'm failing my race. I'm I'm paraphrasing what she said. And, you know, our, our feedback to her was, it's so important to know your lane and take care of yourself. That's the collective healing that, that happens. And that's for me too. Have I been out on any protests? No. Have I been doing a lot in my lane? Yes. 
Absolutely. And I had to really weigh, okay, what is the highest and best use of me? Is it going out and marching, knowing that I don't do well in crowds, period? Or is it supporting black businesses, finding black coaches to mentor, hosting free events for people of color, reaching out to the people of color in my community, looking at our business, looking at the place that I live and things I can do here in my community. That was the highest and best use of me. So it's just, we all have to know and be comfortable with, okay, what's the highest and best use of me? How can I do my part and not totally overwhelm and completely traumatize myself? And that's what I've been saying, especially to a lot of the black people in my community and the people of color is just honor your feelings right now. Really, really honor your feelings and be with what's coming up. Because for me, between COVID and what we have going on now with the exposing of the racial injustices and the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests and so on and so forth and the the revelation of seeing so many Black people killed in unfair circumstances. I mean, that's been going on. <laughs> that's not new. Mm-hmm. We're just all becoming more aware of it. And so we're, the veil is being lifted. And that's a great thing. I always said 2020 was all about 2020 vision. 2020 was always about clarity. I never felt like 2020 was going to be the best year yet. I felt that, you know, a lot of things in our world need to change. And I see it with anybody that comes to a retreat or anybody that comes for coaching. Things have to get pretty uncomfortable before they actually change. Mm-hmm. Now, it's like we could, so if we use racism, we could go, oh, yeah, no, it's really bad. And yeah, some black people get killed unfairly. And um, we, until we saw the murder of George Floyd, it was like, you couldn't deny it anymore. You couldn't avoid it anymore. You couldn't just say, oh, no, that's terrible and not do anything about it anymore. It didn't become an option or it stopped becoming an option. And I, I feel like that's how we are with our own internal awakening as well. There comes a point where the way we've been doing it just isn't a freaking option anymore. And we have to get super uncomfortable to change. And that's where we are in the world. And especially for, you know, those in the U.S. like me and Emma, it's also an election year. And so it's a time of massive divisiveness and I, I think massive manipulation. And so it's so important for us all to be sovereign beings and sovereign beings that know we are all one mm-hmm. and not get too caught up in the news and not get too caught up in the anger and the blame and all those things and just keep doing our internal work. Just keep doing our internal work because what I'm noticing is that people that you know have done more consciousness work, not meaning, and I don't want... By consciousness work, I don't mean the people that go and meditate for, you know, two hours a day and drink their green smoothies. What I mean by consciousness work is the people that have been willing to go into the shadow, the people who have been willing to beat the shit out of pillows, yell and scream, go into their trauma, their pain, not for an indulgence and not to spend all the time there, but to let that inner child and past versions of them get that voice out, get those feelings out, get the emotions out. It's the people that have been willing to get messy, willing to get dirty, willing to pull the covers back, willing to look at the, the dark 
judgmental, hurt places inside themselves that are navigating this time with the most, uh, I would say, intellectual and emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it's important, in my opinion, not to be super reactive right now. I think action is important, but being super reactive from an emotional place is, from my point of view, not going to get us to where we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a big aha for me personally in realizing, um, you know, doing a lot of the like overconsumption on the reading and the educational videos and the social media, this and that's and the, you know, amplifying um, the BIPOC community's voices and listening to what they have to say. And like, I'm here for all of that. I'm in major support. And I got to, you know, you mentioned this earlier on, I got to like a sort of unsustainable space of self-care had just gone out the window. Like I did not create space for anything other than consumption so I could take action. So like, let's go, go, go. We've got to do this right this very second. And And then I kind of battled with this idea of like, this is not a time to prioritize care for myself. And I had that rhetoric going on. And then I realized, Ooh, I can't be effective in like, uh, what is my ultimate goal here? My ultimate goal is to be able to take a stand, have educational, effective conversations. And I can't do that when I'm so wrapped up in my own emotions. Mm -hmm. It's like, like what you're saying, this very reactive, experience of there's no, for me personally, I cannot be in a productive state of, of conversation with another person when I'm not emotionally triggered. Like I have no space for compassion because I can't understand. And then it's, you know, there's, it's just kind of a, a tricky cycle. And I know quite a few people who are experiencing similar things in, okay, how do I really take care and allow what I'm experiencing before I go out and take action in a way that's effective. Like I can, like you said, there's all these different lanes of behind the scenes, like supporting um, black businesses or donating or um, doing things that you're great at. Like, you know, you're an amazing healer and helping support people through there. Like there's so many different ways to contribute. And I think there's this like, so I don't know if it's social media per se, but there's this pressure to act in a certain way and do things in a certain way Mm -hmm. that that isn't necessarily supportive for the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because what this is, is it's, it's, a, it's a shift in consciousness that's required mm-hmm. for something like racism to be um, abolished. And with that, it's a belief system. That's mm-hmm. what racism is. It's a belief system. And for any belief system to change we have to go through an emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual process. And it probably will take a minute. (laughs) It's probably going to take a while. And so that's why all of us collectively, again, this is just from my point of view, need to make a commitment to this is a lifelong changing of belief systems. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to feel my emotions around it. I'm going to look at my own internal beliefs and deconstruct those. I'm going to take physical action. And spiritually, I'm going to keep working on my experiential knowing that we are all one. Because if we get to that place spiritually where we know, if we get to that awareness, because we know it conceptually, 
Mm-hmm. Like Emma and I know that we are different expressions of the same universal love force. So is everybody else. We can get that as a concept, but until enough people really, really get that experientially, it's that that's where we need to get to be able to change belief systems like racism and to be able to kind of come together in a better way. Now, I don't know, in my deep reflective moments, I sometimes have the thought, well, is that even possible on this planet? Mm -hmm. This planet exists because of contrast. We learn because of contrast. This planet is where we come to learn and grow. So do I think we're going to get to a utopian, all is love, everyone is love place on planet earth? Maybe not. (laughs) However, I think we can get to a place where we live together in greater community and greater union. I think there will probably always be conflict and struggle, Mm -hmm. but the oppression and the power struggle and the injustices, that's something we can definitely do something about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it can be a, um, you know, that perception of the oneness and like this utopia happening. I also, I get, I, I can really fall into this. Like there's no way that's ever going to happen. And it gets you almost into this like hopeless, helpless state. And simultaneously it's like, yeah, but this isn't working. So I don't care what it is, but it's not going to be this, you know, there's this, there's this like push and pull of that internal conversation too. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a push and pull like life. It really is. I mean, that's and and I think that the more we can find our equilibrium in the um up and down and all around kind of thing, it it will it helps us cuz like for me, I even though I'm an empath and I've been picking up on the collective uh anxiety because I have done so much work on myself, even if the water's really choppy, I can come back to my own internal um, equilibrium. Mm-hmm. I won't always say peace, but a place inside where I don't feel so seasick. <laughs> you know, I don't feel so like it's, it's just out of control because to someone who is not very awake or aware. And that's not a judgment thing. That doesn't make anyone less of a person. It just means you haven't been in kind of the school of human and personal development. You know, you've been in the school of get a job, get married, have 2.5 kids, what's your career, make money, get insurance. You know, you've been in that world and you haven't had the space to really be in the understanding yourself as a, as a human. And when you do really kind of understand yourself as a human, you see that outer experience is a reflection of inner reality and what's going on externally, collectively, in some degree is what we all go through. Mm-hmm. This conflict between this or that, you know, the, the ways that we oppress ourselves, the ways that we disagree with ourselves, the way that we live in fear, you know, everything that's going on externally is required for an awakening. Again, Awakenings don't happen sitting on your meditation cushion in Bali. They happen when you're really in the thick of things. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement to everyone, and this is not a spiritual bypass thing. This is, you know, be involved, be awake, let what's happening, you know, move you, feel Mm -hmm. your feelings about it. Um, But also know that this is, this is part of how we awake. It's messy. No awakening is ever neat and clean. And we've got to be willing to get messy inside ourselves too. Because if you're 
just thinking about coronavirus and racism and you're not working on yourself as well. You're not going, how is that? Like, what is this triggering inside of me? How is this a reflection of me? If you're just looking at it as a problem out there, mm-hmm. then you're missing a big, big, big part of it. I mean, it was amazing to me to see human beings all over the world give up human rights with mm-hmm. this virus. And I am not saying it's not real. I definitely know people who have had it. I know people who have lost people to it. It is a nasty virus. And so are, you know, virus, that's the way viruses are. They, they are nasty and they will just, they stop at really nothing. And, but the, the fear that we have gone into that has completely stopped us from asking questions and critically thinking and really understanding our own health and our own healthcare system. It just has really been very interesting for me to watch. Um, I, I think a lot about, okay, we've, we've printed money, we've done all these things, but we haven't done anything to improve our healthcare system, to educate people, especially the people hardest hit in lower socioeconomic status areas. Like, why haven't we gone into those areas and explained to them more clearly good hygiene habits, immune-boosting tips, um, healthcare? It just just is is interesting to me the way the whole thing is being handled. But I try not to go into any judgment of it. I really, really try to um, just go, okay, like, how do I sometimes stick my head in the sand? How do I sometimes allow my fear to get the best of me that I lose my critical thinking and I allow fear to drive my life? And I think that's a good question for all of us right now. How do you allow fear to become your decision maker instead of your intuition, instead of your inner knowing? Because what really boggles my mind, Emma, is we, we have a virus that we all want to avoid. One of the biggest things that suppresses our immune system is fear and stress. Mm-hmm. And how we've dealt with this is to go into fear and stress and separation. And, you know, community is one of the things that lowers stress, getting together with other people, laughing, being outside, going out to dinner, seeing a movie, going to yoga classes, going to your gym. All those things are the things that really help people's immune systems. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I just want people to just go, huh, hmm, hmm. How can I navigate this time where I'm not giving away my power and I'm really using my critical thinking? I'm asking, you know, what does this remind me of? How is this an external reflection of what's going on inside of me? And how do I not become susceptible to the fear virus? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think to your point um, around what is this bringing up in me or what does this remind me of? I think there's been a lot of you know, not feeling in control or feeling like the rug, the rug was ripped out from underneath me or, you know, there's all of this. And this is why I think the inner child, I mean, you know, this, the inner child work is so critical because these types of situations really pull out those triggers for us. Mm -hmm. And that experience of, you know, like for me, unheard and unfair are huge, huge, um, belief systems and components that I pulled from childhood that anything from like my dad interrupting me at the dinner table to racism, it's like, 
I go from zero to a hundred in point two seconds. And I think the same applies for, you know, to your point around, around fear or feeling like I don't have the freedom to go travel wherever I want or whatever it is. It's like all of these, um, experiences can come back to who we be and what, what is real for us and, and really hold that mirror on some level or another. And I think that point of looking inward right now, Mm -hmm. especially is really important. And I love Mm -hmm. that you bring that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you around, you know, we had talked about some of the guilt and shame that comes up with, um, with racism and with the, even, even for white people to the generational experience around, um, you know, oh, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did or what have you, that kind of rhetoric. And, and really when you sit down and look at it and what the experience that I've had is realizing, oh shoot, like I have not been willing to say I'm part of the problem for me for so long. It was like them over there, the racist people over there, or our president or whatever, everybody outside of me is the problem. And this time around for me, it's realizing like, oh, wow, no, like I get to take some responsibility here and I've taken a part in this. And um, whether that's the systemic portion or just the way that the society is set up or grabbing my bag, you know, a little Mm -hmm. bit tighter when I'm in the parking lot by myself, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, um, that brings up a lot of the guilt and the shame around, oh my gosh, how have I been so ignorant to this? How have I not... um, taken a stand before now, what, what are your suggestions around moving through that guilt and shame? And, and what, what does that look like from your perspective? Well, guilt to me is the way good people still justify being a good people by punishing themselves. So Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, oh my gosh, there's this thing that I don't like that I did. I identify as a good person. I don't want to think that I'm a jerk or that I'm a bad person. So I know what I'll do. I'll feel super guilty about it because then at least I'm still a good person because I'm feeling guilty. Mm. So guilt isn't actually even a feeling. It's a like collection of thoughts. <laughs> it's just <laughs> this, this thing that we say we're feeling um, when we're really trying to navigate our own self-perception around, when we, around shame. That's basically what it is, is where guilt is a side effect of really not allowing ourselves to feel shame. So I would say, feel the shame, feel it, expose it. And the only way to heal shame is to expose it. You know, in my conversations with my husband and with my friends and with my family and with my community, it's just been, you know, exposing my ignorance and, 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 but not in a, oh my God. I'm so sorry. Like I'm such a terrible person because honestly, I don't know what good that does. Just like we said, nothing ever good has come from someone blaming someone. I can't think of anything that ever really changed the world because someone felt guilty. Mm -hmm. That's not really how we want to innovate change. So when, when I feel those things, like when I feel guilt, I call myself out and I'm like, okay, Christine, guilt isn't a real feeling. You're just ashamed because you judged something that you did or didn't do. So forgive yourself for the judgment and then let's move on. And if I'm feeling shame about something, I let myself expose it. I let myself feel it. I let myself identify, oh, wow, like I'm ashamed of the fact that I didn't speak up about this sooner, you know, or I didn't buy that book sooner. And I own it and I forgive myself for it and I'm going to move forward. 
uh, because guilt and shame, they are a very, very low vibrational frequency. And to navigate both this pandemic and the racial war that we're in right now, I guilt and shame are not the weapons we need to take into the battlefield. So I just really call people forward. And neither is blame. So anybody listening right now that's blaming and judging, you know, I caught myself. So we live in Austin, Texas, and we have a, um, a mayor who very much disagrees with our governor. So we're the only city in Texas where everywhere you go, a mask is required. And it wasn't like that a week ago. And that's the other thing that about this pandemic that's been so hard. It's like one week, everybody, fine, it can't spread. And then it's like masks again, cases are going up. And it's just like, geez, Louise. So it's interesting how we deal with uncertainty as human beings. Um, and I think this has really brought up everybody's fear of death mm. because we don't deal with that well in our society either. Mm-hmm. We celebrate you know, birth and pregnancy and all these things, but we have a totally different relationship to death in our, in our culture, especially. So anyway, I was going out to dinner with my parents and we walk into the restaurant and I said, I'm Christine. We have a reservation. She goes, oh, you need to put on a mask. And I said, but I'm about to eat dinner. You need to wear a mask from the hostess stand to when you walk to the table. You can't take off your mask till you're sitting down. And I, in that moment, had some judgment (laughs) about this makes no sense. I'm here eating. I'm going to take off my mask five feet from where I am now, but when I'm walking through, and I guess, you know, if it's, I I could argue that there's sense to it too. But in that moment, I found myself going, this is stupid. Boom, right there, I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem because I'm in judgment. So it's a projection. Just as I'm, you know, judging how they're doing something, I'm being judgmental of it. So I'm part of the problem. So big part for me, especially with the pandemic, because I have my own belief system around what it requires to stay healthy. And it's sometimes in contradiction to what is encouraged by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And so I do my best to stay in love and to stay in acceptance and to honor what other people makes what makes other people feel safe. And when I do judge, go, I forgive myself for judging. I forgive myself for judging. And that's an important thing to do too as we're starting to become more aware of racism. Like noticing you clutching your purse, you know, in a parking lot, especially if you saw, let's just call it out, a black man walking towards you. Well, really for me as a woman, any man walking towards me, I'd Mm -hmm. do that despite what their color is. Um, Because I think as women, we feel more threatened. And just in that moment, going, okay, I forgive myself for judging. You know, I forgive myself for judging. When we have those, those thoughts that could have biases attached to them, I forgive myself for judging and still keep ourselves safe. I mean, honestly, if I'm walking through a parking lot alone and, and any man is there and it's just him and I, I'm going to be a little more cautious than I would if it was like a pregnant woman walking through the parking lot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I've heard you say this a couple of times um, on your podcast also, which is called Over and On With It, and it's awesome. You coach people live there and also have guest speakers on. Um, 
I've, and, and I've heard you say this in the inner child workshop and a couple of other places recently with both quarantine and um, the racism that's happening in this world right now. And specifically our country of coming back to light and love and like coming back to that acceptance and sort of releasing the judgment, whether it's on yourself or other people. And I'm curious what, if there, if there is such a thing, what tangibles you have to really come back to that space of light and love. Um, I found myself in a couple of situations where like, like with um, the topic of racism, my emotions are so high and I find it hard to come back to compassion with people who have an opposing viewpoint of me. Um, You know, it's like my little earplugs are in because I'm so, my emotions have completely taken over. And I'm curious, how do you come back to that sort of yummy love and light, compassion, forgiveness space? I honestly, I think that it's different for everybody. I don't think there's a one size fits all approach. And I think it's, it's important not to have guilt for feeling yumminess too. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, my relationship with my husband has been my way back in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Nature, my nephews, my work, honestly, like conversations like these. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know that love and light is not just the yummy stuff. Love is also holding space for the yucky stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of yucky stuff. And so loving it, like looking at what's happening in the world and just going, I love everyone right now, even the people I don't agree with. Like I, I can love us through this. And so I think it's that. I think it's not judging it as, as bad or wrong or letting ourselves get, you know, because there's always in life, there's what happens and then there's what we make it mean. And if we make this everything that's going on right now mean that it's like the worst time ever. Like everybody, you know, wants to erase 2020 and, you know, doesn't want to get into the back to the future car that's going to 2020. And I'm like, no, everybody, this is an incredible time to be alive. This is, this is like, there's so, and I am, I think there's more coming. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks it's all right. Can't get worse. I think it probably will (laughs) because we're in a phase where, well, well, like I said, we're in an election year and we're also in a phase where stuff's coming up. And I know when I work with an individual, like with my private clients, as soon as we tap into something, like something major, then more memories come up and more memories come up and more stuff come up. It's because we've opened the floodgate to, oh, wow, he or she is finally going to expose this. He or she is going to finally stop suppressing. Mm -hmm. And we're in that. We're going to finally stop suppressing so many of the the things that we've suppressed for so, so long, you know, I mean, even with the pandemic, we're seeing the way our healthcare system and our, our governmental systems are not set up to really keep us safe in a lot of ways to keep us safe and educated. So to me, it's all love and light. It's, it's all love and light. We can't just say the good yummy stuff is the love and light because it all, it all is part of the human experience and all of the human experience is love. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a supportive reframe for sure. Mm. Mm. And not to say there's not darkness. There definitely is darkness in the world, but even if we can bring love to that, then we don't feed the darkness with more darkness and more judgment. We feed, we feed it instead with love. Hmm. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, and I think especially in, in the communities that 
that we're in and, and the people that sometimes we're around, there's this idea of spiritual bypassing of like, Oh, only love and light. And like, we're just going to love our way through it. And I think there's two different, I just want to clarify this. I think there's two different, um, maybe perspectives of that, of like, yes, love and light, but also action with it. And I know, um, that's something that you support. And then there's this other side of like, we're just going to, you know, love and, and light around just kind of coming. I don't know, but I don't know what other word to use other than bypassing. Right. Yeah. Bypassing is a great word. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think just making that distinction is important for me too. Um, uh, with, with that whole concept. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it, it, Truly, when we are in that place of love, we can't, ha- we are compelled to action. Mm-hmm. And back to what I was saying earlier, it's about finding your lane. What's the highest and best use of you? Um, but if we're just in love and light and I'm, I'm just going to meditate and not do anything and put my head in the sand and spiritual bypass my feelings and what's going on in the world, that's actually avoidance. That's not awareness. That's not evolution. Yeah. It's yeah. a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it's a kind of a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also recently did a, um, I think it was on over and on with it, a podcast talking about this concept of, of staying in your different lanes and, um, how there are so many different ways to be a part of the change and to be a part of this, this process and this evolution and how you can contribute based on what your specific gifts are and like how, you know, to your point, like I'm maybe not be out protesting, but I'm helping people face off with their own inner healing and like how supporting them to then support the process and how they can contribute. Um, and I will link your podcast down below with some Mm -hmm. more information on that. But if you have any context or thoughts on, on the different lanes and and maybe different ways people can support other than just what's sort of shoved at us via social media. Oh yeah. My podcast on the great awakening. Yeah. That would be good for everybody to listen to. Cause I went through like, I don't know, nine or 10 different roles Mm -hmm. that, um, we can be in during this time. And, you know, I think the most important thing is this is really like, even we're all in it together and we're all going to express through it differently. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. we're all going to express through it differently. So it's so important that, um, we, we just go into the space of, all right, what is the best way for me to serve? You know, what is the best way for me to serve? How can I really show up? What's the highest and best use of me? Those kind of questions, um, are so important to be asking right now and not to feel the pressure that we have to do it like everybody else is doing it. Yeah. 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 I think that's so important. And also reminding myself this of, of releasing that judgment around a, how you're choosing to show up with it and b how other people are choosing to show up with it. Yes. And like trusting that people can make their, you know, best judgments of, of how they can contribute and having that, those educational conversations, or maybe sharing your podcast of these different lanes you can be in in different ways that you can support. Um, and doing so with that high intention, low attachment of people get to do it in the way that feels, um, most effective for them. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. 
Oh, well, I would love to continue this conversation all day long. I'm so, so grateful for you for coming on and sharing your light and your love and wisdom here. Um, and just being, you know, the powerful yummy sand that you are. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Emma, for having me. Thank you for, you know, you are such an incredible um, volunteer and assistant in our events. You're such an incredible coach and light worker. And I always love having you there. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being part of this tribe. Mm, Thank you, Christine. Absolutely. Um, And I will link all of Christine's info down below, give her a follow on Instagram, hop on her podcast, grab her books. There's so much amazing goodness in all of those resources, lots of tangible tools, um, to help support you move through this time as well. So I will link all that goodness below and Christine, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Oh, thanks Emma. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode of Living in the Yum podcast, please take just a minute and show it some love by subscribing, rating, and leaving a comment. This helps us to continue spreading the yum and changing lives across the globe. Speaking of, I work with clients in one-on-one settings around the world, and I'm so, so excited to announce to you my new 90-day one-on-one container, the Body Soul Lution. If you know that you are feeling called and ready to really up-level your life, to shift your experience with your body and soul connection, drop me a DM at Emma M. Garrison on Instagram. I do have limited spaces available so that I can maintain the depth with my clients, but I would love to hear from you if this sparks. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to be here today with me. I so appreciate and value that. And I'm sending you so much love, so much light, and so much yum. I'll talk to you soon.